So when Putin shoots that plane out of the sky with Prigozhin in it, that's not a message for me and you, and it's not a message even for people like Navalny. It's a message for the other elites who are party to that same code of loyalty and code of conduct, that this is what happens when you come for the king and you miss. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, August 24th. Today, I'm joined by Julia Yaffe to talk about the revenge of Vladimir Putin against Yevgeny Prigozhin, the man who led a brief rebellion against the Kremlin exactly two months ago. His plane was shot out of the sky Wednesday, north of Moscow, killing him and other Wagner Group associates. And as Julia explains, this was a clear and chilling message from Putin to other would-be rivals that he is not to be trifled with. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to The Powers That Be. Omar Little once said on The Wire, if you come at the king, you best not miss. Yevgeny Prigozhin came for the king, Vladimir Putin, just a couple of months ago as the leader of the Wagner Group uh, in his aborted rebellion. And it appears he has now paid the price. A flight he was on was shot down over Russia. Julia, two months? Exactly. Two months to the day that the Wagner Group rebellion actually started. Mm -hmm. Putin does like his anniversaries, doesn't he? Oh, he sure does. What's crazy is that while Prigozhin was being shot out of the sky and people were sorting through that flaming wreckage, I mean, and filming the twisted bodies in there, he was off celebrating another anniversary. He was in mm. Kursk, which is about 500 miles south, where which is the site of a massive World War II tank battle, I think the biggest tank battle mm -hmm. ever. And, you know, he loves his World War II anniversaries too. And he was pinning medals on the chests of warriors for Russia today, basically saying, these are heroes. Back there, that's what happens to fucking traitors. So we can assume this was done on orders of Vladimir Putin. I mean, we are journalists. Uh, we have to say it appears as such, or we assume as such. But I mean, there's not a lot of explanation for why this plane would be shot down because it also included other members of Wagner, didn't it? It sure did. It included Sergei Utkin, who is the guy responsible for the Wagner moniker. He was a GRU officer who was infatuated with German culture, not all creepy, and infatuated with Wagner, the composer, as Hitler once was. Again, not mm. all creepy, especially if you see this guy's tattoos. And it's why Wagner be was known as Wagner, and it's why Wagner's fighters were known as musicians in the kind of slang uh, mm. in the parlance. But yeah, the plane seems to have been flying normally. There were no issues, no calls of distress. It didn't suddenly start a different flight path or jerk up or jerk down. Witnesses on the scene, you know, Russians who were, as a friend pointed out, weirdly calmly filming this as the plane kind of just plumb lines down. Mm -hmm. They all said they heard two explosions and then uh, saw the plane falling down. And and there's been rumors that this was the work of Russian anti-aircraft fire, 
it's just such a crazy, there's such crazy symmetry to this. Because if you recall, in the summer of 2014, Malaysian Airlines flight 17 was shot out of the sky over eastern Ukraine by Russian Mm. anti-aircraft fire. It was one of the defining moments in the war in Ukraine back then. All of this, like the fact that it's the two-month anniversary, the fact that this is mm-hmm. what happens to happened to that Malaysian airliner, the fact that on that same day, Putin was celebrating this 80th anniversary of this World War II tank battle. Like all of it, Putin loves anniversaries and he hates traitors. I was also watching CNN on Wednesday when this happened. I think Matthew Chance was on talking about the same Putin speech you were, and he kept making allusions to loyalty and loyalty and loyalty and loyalty, like literally just as this plane was being shot out of the sky. So one thing that has baffled me about this whole thing, and we talked about this when the uprising happened in the first place, and then it was stifled. The idea that Prigozhin and Putin were going to meet, which they did in person, and that he was going to be able to, you know, live in safety in Belarus and perhaps carry on Wagner operations in other parts of the world, that this was just going to be like, hey, man, like, it's cool. We're cool. I know, like, like you, you were suggesting that Putin might have seen him as, like, a big enough threat that he kind of had to sort of manage him rather than just take him out. That all seems, like, delusional after <laughs> yesterday. Like, why was Prigozhin traveling around? Did he just have, like huge brass balls? Or do you think he was under the impression from his security team or from Putin world that, no, yeah, everything's fine, man. You're fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Have you ever seen a cat kill its prey? Um, yeah, I have. Yeah. So it'll take a bite and then it'll let it show signs of life and then it'll, or it'll wake it up and then it'll try to kill it again. And it, It'll tease it a little bit until it finally kills it. And in fact, this approach in Russian is quite notorious, and it's called koshka smushka, a cat with a mouse. And Mm. this is exactly what Putin does. And this is what we knew he would do. We just didn't know the method. He said on the morning of the 24th, he said, these people are traitors, and whoever takes up arms against the Russian Federation is a traitor and all traitors will be punished. It was clear when Prigozhin started his march on Moscow that he had to go all the way and either die that way or, or be successful, or he was a dead man walking. Putin's style of action is exactly this. He doesn't like to act when everybody expects him to act. He doesn't like the pressure to act, whether it is verbal or in the form of protests or even in the form of kind of tacit expectations. And here it was not even tacit expectations. Everybody was speculating, you know, whether Prigozhin would live to see his next birthday, which was Mm -hmm. next June. Bill Burns, the CIA director, former U.S. ambassador to Russia, was asked at the Aspen Security Forum last month, why is Prigozhin still alive? Right? Everybody knew that this was going to happen. And uh, Bill Burns very correctly said, Putin believes that Revenge is a dish best served cold. He doesn't like to be seen as overreacting. And if I were Prigozhin, I wouldn't fire my food taster just yet. He said, Putin is the ultimate apostle of payback. And this is still not finished. Like we have not seen the last act of this play. And he acted, it seems, when Prigozhin was starting to get the sense that he was okay, that he was in Mm -hmm. the clear. 
because, you know, one of my sources immediately texted me and said, who thought it was a good idea to get on a plane with Prigozhin? But the thing is, he's been flying that plane back and forth for the last two months. He even got a face-to-face meeting, as you said, in the Kremlin with Vladimir Putin for three hours after this coup, right? Mm -hmm. He was allowed to publicly recruit soldiers to go with him to Africa. Everybody in Moscow was saying, okay, well, it looks like Prigozhin isn't going to move to Belarus, but he's going to move to Africa, right? Where he can't march. You can't march on Moscow from Africa. Mm -hmm. Everybody assumed he'd be put out to pasture there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there was a video that circulated on Monday of Prigozhin recruiting soldiers. He was in Africa on Monday, putting out this video, recruiting soldiers. He clearly got the sense that the cat wasn't interested in him anymore. The cat wasn't going to kill him. And that's when the cat went for the jugular. And the one thing I want to say is that, and here I'll tease a podcast we at Puck are doing about Putin and kind of how this mentality formed. But there's this idea in Russian of panyatia, which literally means understandings. But what it is really is an unwritten code of rules, like what loyalty means, how the breach of loyalty is punished. And I once asked Mikhail Khodorkovsky, a former oligarch whom Putin punished by taking away all his riches and throwing him in jail for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And he was clearly in that mindset too. And I asked him, you know, where's this this code of conduct and whom does it apply to? And he said, The people to whom it applies know it. And if you don't know it, don't worry about it. But we're all on the same page and we know what the rules are. They don't need to be written down. So when Putin shoots that plane out of the sky with Prigozhin in it, that's not a message for me and you. And it's not a message even for people like Navalny. It's a message for the other elites who are party to that same code of loyalty and code of conduct that this is what happens when you come for the king and you miss. Julie, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you more about this crazy story. Welcome back to the powers that be, everybody. Evgeny Prigozhin, uh, you know, this is shocking. He was an enemy of Putin, but the enemy of your enemy is not your friend in this case. He <laughs> will probably be remembered in history as a butcher and a bad guy. Navalny, for all of his flaws, uh, you know, will probably be remembered on the right side of history, uh, not like Prigozhin. Um, the head of the Ukrainian uh, president's office posted an audio link on his Telegram channel to ACDC's Highway to Hell. Sure did. <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> which I kind of like. Uh, I also uh, really like ACDC. Um, a, lot of, a lot of news also circulating on Telegram during the entire, uh, you know, Ukraine-Russia conflict. It's really where a lot of intel, a lot of videos have been coming out. And you mentioned earlier, all of the people filming the plane going down, that just like kind of struck me as weird because there's not usually a lot of video of plane crashes. Yes, if there were surface to air missiles involved and like people might have fired up their cameras and recorded a plane flying out of the sky, is it possible that there were people on the ground who were there to capture video so it could then be circulated so Putin perhaps could point to evidence that like hey, this is real. That's the that's the plane. And here's the plane crash and the mangled mm-hmm. bodies and it's and it's mm-hmm. on fire. Maybe mm-hmm. 
people who in this line of work say that coincidences take a lot of work to plan. Hmm. That said, keep in mind that Russia, mainland Russia has been under a constant barrage of drones operated most likely by the Ukrainian military intelligence, Hur. They've been landing on Moscow. They've been landing on other parts of Russia. Mm. Things are exploding in the sky. Things are falling out of the sky onto people's houses. People are getting injured. People are getting killed. And so it doesn't totally surprise me that Russians, they hear something or they see something in the sky, they're immediately going to point their smartphones at it because it could be a Ukrainian drone and they want to see it, capture it. They also know that this is a thing that will gain traction on social media. The other thing is, remember, before, I'm really dating myself here, but before smartphones, this was the country of dash cams. Yeah, you're right. Remember, like, Russia was, was the (laughs) meteor, the tank suddenly driving across the road in front of your car. Yeah. Russians were recording everything that happens Mm -hmm. on the road, whatever, like, and then posting it. So... It doesn't strike me as totally unlikely. Hmm. But, you know, it's it's Russia and clearly the special services are involved. So I guess we have to, as responsible journalists, leave some room for that, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't totally surprise me. And, and Russians being calm while things explode, like, yeah, they're Russians. They're like, well, yeah. we're not starving. It's not an atom bomb. Whatever. So did Russia come out and take credit for this? Did they say it was an accident? What what was the initial explanation from the government? Here's what I found really interesting that I think people who don't watch Russia for a living noticed other things like how was the plane flying and what kind of plane mm-hmm. was it and why were there people on the ground filming this? Mm-hmm. What stuck out to me and other Russia watchers was the speed with which the Russian bureaucracy publicly responded. The Russian aviation control body, Rosaviatsa, immediately came out with a statement and said, Prigozhin was on board. Hmm. Usually when there's a true disaster and something is truly unexpected, mm-hmm. it takes them forever to figure out what to say. Because everybody's scared to take initiative in an authoritarian country. Everybody's mm-hmm. scared of being punished for saying the wrong thing, jumping the gun, doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. So they all have their meetings and like, oh, God, what are we going to say? And what statement are we going to put out, right? But here they were ready. They just came out with it and they said, he was on board. And to me, that speaks volumes, that they knew this was coming, that this wasn't an accident, and they were prepared. This might be an obvious question, but what does this mean for any possible opposition to Vladimir Putin in Russia at this point? Well, I think getting back to what I was telling you about Panyatia and the fact that this isn't a message for you and me, this is a message for other people in the system who might be contemplating repeating Prigozhin's act. It was clear on the 24th when Prigozhin turned around and choked that whoever came after him, whoever tried this after him would have a much harder time of it. Because if the guy with the private army battle-hardened, unafraid of death, 25,000 strong, couldn't do it, then you better, you know, it's going to be harder for pretty much anybody else. And they would have to really dot their I's, cross their T's and make sure everything was going to go according to plan. And then this really just is, is the capstone of the whole thing of like, this is what will happen to you 
if you try this again. So anybody who tries to come after Putin has to be really good and really organized and go all the way to the end on a kind of suicide mission, Mm -hmm. or it just won't happen. Because as the incredible Soviet historian Stephen Kotkin pointed out after June 24th, that in an authoritarian regime where everybody's being watched, it is very hard to plan a coup. And the one guy who was going to do it, did it, shot his shot, completely missed, and now he was shot out of the sky. So the message for the other elites who might not be happy with this is keep your mouth shut and just wait for somebody else to do it unless you want to be shot out of the sky next or fall out of a window or whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, at least he didn't die in that windowless uh, hotel room that he was first right? sitting in. <laughs> Maybe he was so relieved that he didn't have to stay in Minsk in a hotel where the windows didn't open that he was like, okay, I'm just going to like gallivant around on my jet. I'm fine. It's like two months a- after something bad happens, you know, you might play some mental gymnastics and be like, you know what? I'm fine. I'm feeling right? loose. It's, yeah. Two months is not a long time. Two months is not a long time. Sir, you should have left the country. But if you're waiting to die or be killed every day of those two months, it's a long time. Yeah. If you yeah. just escaped death and you were assured that you're fine. The other thing that occurs to me, and maybe this is because my sister is an oncologist and my mom is a surgical pathologist who also deals with cancer. Imagine you're given the all clear, like you've had cancer You weren't going to beat it. You thought you were going to die of it, right? And then the doctor tells you, you know what? Miraculous. You survived. You're fine. Let's just wait. But like by the five-year mark, you'll definitely know you're fine. And then you're like, okay, it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened Mm -hmm. yet. I'm probably fine. And then bam, it comes back and gets you because it's cancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Putin's cancer. <laughs> that is a is a foreign policy take. I don't think a lot of people would disagree with. You should teach that at Princeton one day. Julia, uh-huh. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.